Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. As you think about how we start thinking about what church is, how do you start? How do you start forming um, a theology of church, a doctrine of church? You see, there's a number of ways you could start. And a common way is to start with the metaphors the Bible uses for church. So you probably know what those are. Can you think of them? There's the, the bride of Christ, uh, the body of Christ, uh, the temple, the candlestick, uh, the family. Uh, there's lots of ways in which you could describe church. And the New Testament it uses um, uh, these metaphors to describe church. Now, they are really important, and we will come to some of those as we go on over these weeks. But the problem with the metaphors is, is that they describe uh, what church should be like. They don't necessarily describe what church actually is. They don't necessarily describe the essence of what makes church, church. And so if we started by looking at the metaphors, we would come up with quite a lot of distinct things, but nothing necessarily to hold them together and to unify uh, those thoughts. And so what we want to think about this morning, is there something which holds all the metaphors together, which provides a unified vision of what church is and what the Bible says? And that's what we're going to approach over the the next couple of weeks, thinking about what is uh, church. And we're going to look this morning at the Bible story. Uh, We're going to look at the the whole of the Bible, hopefully. Uh, We're not going to read it all. Um, We might not finish today if we're going to do that. And the talk would be very long. Um, But we are going to be uh, flipping through the Bible to look at various passages uh, which will hopefully help us to understand exactly what church is. And so it would be great if you uh, have got a Bible. If you've not got a Bible with you, it would be good to bring one with you. If you've not got a Bible, you don't own a Bible, then let me know and we'll get you one. Um, Because uh, we want you to kind of see that what we're saying this morning, what I'm saying this morning, is not something hopefully that I've just made up. But hopefully it is what the Bible is actually teaching. Um, And so it would be good if you can flip through, look at the passages uh, when that's appropriate so that we can come to understand uh, something of what's uh, being said. Um, And hopefully then you can check up what I'm saying um, so that you know that this is actually what the Bible says. Well, let me, as we uh, begin uh, to look at the Bible, let me just give you a heads up of where we're going uh, and what um, a preliminary definition of church. This is what hopefully we're going to see Hopefully we're going to see that the church is the gathering of God's people, the gathering of God's people, in order to hear him speak in fellowship with one another. Now we'll add more to that later, but for now, the church is the gathering of God's people in order to hear him speak in fellowship with one another. You see, it's the idea of gathering, hopefully, that we'll see really clearly this morning. Well, let's look at uh, the Bible's story and the canvas on which everything else is drawn. If you could turn with me, t- with me to Genesis 1 and 2, uh, right back at the beginning of the Bible, uh, as we see the account of God uh, creating the heavens and the earth. Uh, right in Genesis 1 and 2, in Genesis 1 we see God makes an ordered world. He makes a purposeful world. It is in good order and in good design. And as you you read through, you see right at the heart, the pinnacle of everything that God makes is mankind. 
And so you read about that in Genesis 1, 26. <clears throat> Let me read that. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. You see, so God makes mankind, it's the pinnacle of all creation, the God makes mankind. And just notice what is said. It is said that God says he makes them in his image. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. You see, mankind is, is different from any other thing that's been made. He is in the image of God. And that means on the one hand that God uh, makes mankind to, to rule on his behalf. You see that, that they will have um, dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, of the livestock and over, over all the earth. They have this uh, uh, role of dominion, of ruling over things in the image of God. On the other hand, being in the image of God means they're in relationship with God. They have a unique relationship with God. God speaks with them. God has a relationship where we see in Genesis 3, he comes and walks in the garden. He has relationship with the mankind that he has made. They're in fellowship with him. And that's a really important thing to see. It's unique to mankind. No other creature is in the same relationship with God where he comes and speaks with them. So mankind is in the image of God. You observe something else as well there though. Mankind is in the image of God. And yet verse 27. God made them male and female. See so God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created him. You see when we think about mankind. We see that it is man and woman together. Equal in the sight of God. Beautiful in the sight of God. One in equality and of being made in the image of God. And that is for more than just uh, procreation. It's not that they needed male and female so there would be babies and so that the world would then increase. No, the, the, the relationship together is a wonderful thing. The man needs a helper because he cannot be alone. And so after he sees there is no suitable helper in Genesis 2... Eve is made the suitable helper for him, the one who will be with him, who will have a different role to him, but who will be in relationship with him, equal in being. So you see the two aspects. Relationship with God in his image and relationship with each other between the male and the female. Together they work for the purposes of God in relationship with God. Now, it may, it may seem to you that this is a, a long way from the topic of church. Yet listen to what Christopher Ash says in the, in the remaking A Broken World book. He says, in, in a way, we may say that Adam and Eve and God formed the first church in the garden. It was a small church, but it contained within it the seeds of a great worldwide assembly of men and women walking in fellowship with God and in harmony with one another, Caring for the world God had made. 
There's a picture of heaven and earth undivided, together, working together, pictured for us in the intimate assembly in the garden between God and the man and the woman. You see, so that you see, start to see something of uh, what church is in the Garden of Eden. And it's almost onto that map that everything else in the, the world is drawn. Everything else in the Bible story is drawn onto that. That provides the background for what we see in the rest of the Bible. The world is about relationship with God and relationship with each other. And that's what uh, church is going to ultimately be about. Now, if you know anything um, of the Bible, you know the, the beautiful harmony that you see there in the Garden of Eden. It doesn't last. Mankind decides that they don't want God. They reject God's rule over, over them. They turn away from the relationship. They doubt God. They disbelieve his word. And eventually they disobey God. And then God, in judgment, as he said, he would scatter them from the garden. They are scattered out. Away from the presence of God. And the relationships are destroyed between God and mankind. Between Adam and Eve they're destroyed. And you can see that the scattering therefore is a fit metaphor. A a fit thing. What actually happened but it also describes what, what the relationship is now like between everybody. No longer together but scattered. And that's what you see as you read through Genesis from chapter 3 through to chapter 11. And it's into that context then that God speaks again to Abraham. So if you turn to Genesis 12 and we see the call of Abraham. Are people, are people okay so far? You follow following things? Not, not asleep yet? That was, a, that was a really lame response. It's kind of made it look like everybody was asleep. I hope you're, I hope you're not asleep. Uh, Genesis 12 uh, God, at the beginning of the chapter here, calls Abraham. Uh, after the, the big scattering of Babel in chapter 11, uh, God uh, speaks to Abraham and he says to Abraham, Go to the land I will show you. And then he makes, uh, then he says in verse 2 these words God says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, there are amazing promises at that time. It looks as if people are going to be out of relationship with God forever, out of relationship with each other forever. And yet here, God promises to reverse that. People will be added into a great nation. The people will be added to Abraham's family such that it would be a great nation of people together. And God shows that it will come about through the seed of Abraham, a, a child of Abraham. The one who will provide that blessing. In Genesis, this promise is repeated and repeated and repeated as you read through. So if you wanted to, to read through Genesis, you'll see the, those promises being repeated. It's repeated to Abraham's son and grandson and great-grandsons. The promise of a blessing coming, of people being gathered together in a nation. Not gathered as a host of individuals, rather gathered as the gathered people of God. And ultimately, that promise will be fulfilled in the church. It's there that we will see the gathering of God, this great nation, this great people coming to fulfilment 
but that's getting a bit of ahead of ourselves. Um, do you remember last time as we looked at Exodus? Uh, do you remember what we saw there? Uh, do you remember the Israelites, they're living in Egypt. They're living there as a, a rabble of slaves being oppressed uh, by the Egyptians. Yeah, they're not living as a united nation um, in Egypt. They're just scattered as slaves throughout the land. Yeah, do you remember what we saw God was doing? He was going to save them. Well, in chapter 6, this is what uh, God said to Moses. So, uh, Exodus chapter 6. God says to Moses in chapter 6, verse 6. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Can you see that what God was going to do? He was going to redeem them so that they might become his people. So that he he might be their God. And as the people are redeemed from Egypt, that's what we see. He gathers them together. He was going to constitute the people, his very own people. And as they cross over the dry ground through the sea, uh, do you remember they start as a rabble of uh, slaves and as they come out the other side, they come out a nation. And the climax of the whole thing is in chapter 19 as they gather together in Mount Sinai. And God says, see, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. They are brought to God at Mount Sinai. A great gathering which in many ways the Bible looks back to time and again. This great gathering of God's people. Do you know what else we read? That God says, out of all the peoples of the, on the face of the earth, the Lord has chosen Israel as his treasured possession. That's what you see happening here. God gathering to himself people and he gathers them at Sinai. The people of God starting to be gathered again. Starting to see the promise being fulfilled of this gathered nation. And you see it at Sinai. If you, if you flip on to Deuteronomy. So a few books on in chapter 4. In Deuteronomy, um, the next generation are being taught by Moses. As they're on the, the brink of entering the promised land. And Moses reminds them of what happened before. And he talks about this gathering, um, this assembly before uh, God at Sinai. And so you you read in uh, verse 10 of Deuteronomy. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, when he said to me, assemble the people before me to hear my words, so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land. And may teach them to their children. You see what's happening there. God said to Moses, assemble the people. Gather the people. And do you know the word there, assemble? In the, in the Greek version of the, the Old Testament, the word that's used there is the word that is consistently translated in the New Testament, church. Church the people. 
gather the people, assemble the people. And you see, it's a really important thing to see this. When God redeemed people from from Egypt, he gathered them together. It was the point that they then looked back to. The gathering together to be with God and to hear God. You see it throughout Deuteronomy. In chapter 9, verse 10. I'll just read these. Don't need to look these ones up. Uh, Moses says, The Lord gave me two stone tablets inscribed by the finger of God. On them were all the commandments the Lord proclaimed to you on the mountain out of the fire on the day of assembly, on the day of church. In chapter 10, verse 4, The Lord wrote on these tablets what he had written before, the Ten Commandments. He had proclaimed them to you on the mountain out of the fire on the day of assembly. In chapter 18, For this is what the Lord for this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of assembly. You see, throughout Deuteronomy, it's a reflection on this assembly that God had made, this church, this gathering together to see him. You see, here's the point. God saved his people from Egypt and he gathered them. He saved them to gather with each other and with himself. And it's something which we will see right through uh, the New Testament, the, the Old Testament. Okay, so where, where are we up to? Let me just recap in case you've uh, fallen asleep and missed something. And, and, and Owen's, Owen's leaving. Goodbye. Didn't think it was quite that bad, but you know. Obviously it was. If everybody, if everybody starts getting up and doing that, I'll be really discouraged. Uh, so it'd be great if you don't just all leave en masse. So you can be kind to me and just, just not do that. Um, so where are we up to? Genesis 1 and 2, we've seen that God's desire was for people to be in relationship with him, in, with, in relationship with each other. And although that, has been, that was um, destroyed at the fall as people were scattered and divided, uh, God's original plan doesn't change. He still wants a people gathered in relationship with him, with him and with each other. Uh, so in Abraham, we saw that that was God's plan. He was going to create this nation. In the Exodus, we see God saving the people to be the nation, gathered to him at Sinai, formed into the nation in relationship with each other and in relationship with God. Well, let me uh, help you see another couple of things. I'm I'm labouring this point because I really want to hammer this point home to you because it's essential to see. You might say to me, well, that's very well, but is that really what the Bible teaches all the way through? Is it something which is a big theme of the Bible? Well, what we'll, let me just show you something as well. That in, in negatively, if we start to think about if people are being judged by God, how does the Bible describe that? And often it describes it in terms of being scattered in the Old Testament. You see, in salvation he gathers, but in judgment he scatters. And so consider these verses, um, one from Leviticus 26. You can, you can write this down. Um, in, the, in Leviticus, in this chapter, God um, outlines the blessings which will come if people continue to obey him and the curses which will come if they reject him, as Adam and Eve does in the garden. And so one, one of the curses, one of the consequences of disobeying God is this. Leviticus 26, 33, God says, I will scatter you among the nations and will draw my sword and pursue you. Your land will be waste and your cities will lie in ruin. In, in the parallel chapter of uh, Deuteronomy 28, 
in 64, the same kind of thing, blessing and curses we read, the Lord will scatter you among the nations from one end of the earth to the other. There you will worship other gods, God of wood and stone, which neither you nor your fathers have known. You see, if they disobey God, reject God, they'll be scattered. Even in Deuteronomy chapter 4, you see it. If you've still got that open, look at verse 25. Deuteronomy 4. After you um, have had children and grandchildren and have lived in the land a long time, if you then become corrupt and make any kind of idol, doing evil in the eyes of the Lord your God and provoking him to anger, I call heaven and earth as a witness against you this day that you will quickly perish from the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. You will not live there long, but will certainly be destroyed. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples. Can you see what's, what's happening there? If they turn away from God, they don't want relationship with God, he will scatter them. They'll be scattered into the nations. Out of relationship with each other and out of relationship with God. And as you read through the, the Old Testament, you see that the people of, of God were gathered together. And for a time they did obey God. And they followed God. In some ways the, the big moment of that is when King Solomon is there. And the people are gathered and other people from other nations are starting to come to Jerusalem. To find God, being gathered there. The, the nations are being drawn there. And yet very quickly after that, starting with Solomon, people started to disobey God. Solomon married many wives who led his heart astray. They, they turned him to worship their idols. And then the people started worshipping idols and turned away from God. And then you started to see the scattering as uh, the nation of Israel is fractured into two. The northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Then the, the northern kingdom, they continue to worship idols. And they just go from worse to worse to worse. And eventually they are uh, judged and sent to exile. They're scattered among the nations. It's what happens. And eventually even the southern kingdom is scattered as they continue to reject God. You see, the people disobey God the very thing uh, which they uh, were warned about actually happens uh, so Jeremiah uh, preaches to the nation of Israel and he says to them what's going to happen to them because of their disobedience so, so listen to this from uh, uh, Jeremiah 9 and uh, 13 to 16 the Lord said it is because they have forsaken my law, law which I set before them they have not obeyed me or followed my law. Instead, they have followed the stubbornness of their hearts. They have followed the bowels as their fathers taught them. Therefore, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, said. See, I will make this people eat bitter food and drink poisoned water. I will scatter them among the nations that neither they nor their fathers have known. And I will pursue them with the sword until I have destroyed them. In chapter 13 of Jeremiah, he says, I will scatter you like chaff driven by the desert wind. In chapter 18, verse 17, he says, Like a wind from the east, I will scatter you. I will scatter them before their enemies. I will show them my back and not my face in the day of their disaster. It's a terrible thing, isn't it? The judgment of God caused his gathered people to be scattered among the nations. 
You know, I was sowing some seed in my garden yesterday and it was quite windy. And as I sprinkled it from my, my fingers, the wind just took it and, it and it blew everywhere, not where I wanted it to go. So there'll be stuff growing up everywhere. Uh, but you know, but that's the picture in the scattering. They're just blowing everywhere away from each other and from God. You now, as, he, as the, the writer in Lamentations reflects on the judgment that's happened in exile, he reads this. We read this, he said, The Lord himself has scattered them. He no longer watches over them. The priests are shown no, no honour. The elders, no favour. Well, if that's Jeremiah's preaching, the same thing is said in Ezekiel. So Ezekiel chapter 20, in verses 23 we see, Also with uplifted hand I swore to them in the desert that I would disperse them among the nations and scatter them through the countries. Because they had not obeyed my law, but had rejected my decrees and desecrated my Sabbaths. And their eyes lusted after their father's idols. They turned away from God and God scattered them. Looking back on the terrible event of the exile, Zechariah could say this in Zechariah seven thirteen to 14 When I called, they did not listen. So when they called, I would not listen, says the Lord Almighty. I scattered them with a whirlwind among the nations where they were strangers. The land was left so desolate behind them that no one could come or go. This is how they made the pleasant land desolate. You see, scattering is a sign of God's judgment in the Old Testament. While on the other hand, gathering speaks of God's salvation. God's rescue is described in terms of gathering. You see, when we think about is gathering a central thing, when you, in, when you read the passages in which God promises uh, to restore the people after the exile, how does he do that? Well, read these words in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 12. I'm kind of rushing through these, but you can write these down and look them up uh, later if you want. You see, God doesn't abandon his plans, but he says this, he will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four quarters of the earth. See, God's going to gather his people again. Isaiah 27, verse 12. In that day, the Lord will thresh the flowing Euphrates to the wadi of Egypt, and you, O Israel, will be gathered up one by one. You see the same thing in other passages. You see it in Ezekiel. Here's a little montage that Christopher Ash put together of verses from Ezekiel. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock. I will gather you from the nations, gather them from the ends of the earth. He who scatters Israel will gather them and will watch over his flock like a shepherd. I will gather them from the lands. Now you could see, you could do the same things with, um, with Hosea and Micah and Zephaniah and Zechariah. That God was going to gather his people again to himself. And as we reach the end of the Old Testament, these promises stand that God was going to gather for himself a people. But actually it's not been fulfilled yet. It hadn't been fulfilled by the end. Although some people had come back from the exile, it, wasn't the, it, wasn't the, it didn't meet the expectations of the promise God made. But God still promised that he would gather a people to himself. 
You see, in the story, God gathers a people. He saves a people. He gathers them. He churches a people together. Okay, we're about halfway through. No, not quite. We're, we're, we're a bit more than that. Why don't you have, have a stand up, say hello to people, and then we'll, then we'll continue in a minute. Stretch your legs. People are looking a bit tired. Have a donut. And that's what we saw in the Garden of Eden. God created the man and woman to be in relationship with each other and with him. It's what we see in the, uh, 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 in the, um, the what is it called? The Exodus. I knew it was an EX word. The Exodus uh, from Egypt. He brought them through the water to himself to be the nation that he wanted to make. And you see the very purpose of what God was doing there was to gather for himself a people. The very nature of the salvation which he provided at that time was so that there might be a gathered people. People gathered with each other and with God. Now if I apply that to church right now, you see what happens. God saves us so that we might be gathered together as a people. God saves us to be part of his church. Can you start to see how significant that is? When people, you know, they, they say to me, um, I'll, I'm, I'm like, I like Jesus, I'm a Christian, I'm glad that he saved me, but I don't really like the church. I don't really need the church. Can you start to see how wrong that thinking is? Because actually the very purpose and the very nature of your salvation is to be part of church. You are part of church. So to say that you're not misunderstands what's going on. You see, it's very different to often how we think about salvation even. Sometimes we think about salvation as between me and God. God has forgiven my sins. I'm now in relationship with God. He's now my Father. All true. But we think of it only in those terms. Me and God. Individualistically. And yet, actually, when he saves us, he also saves us into a people. To be in relationship with each other. By the very nature of what church is, that we are gathered together with others. You see, so church is more than just the thing which I do as a club to get me to heaven. Something that will help me, which is good for me. But it's by the very nature of who we are, something which we are gathered into together. And notice also then how God gathers. We see the word that gathers, the method that God uses. Can't turn my page, getting stuck. You see, as we reflect a little bit more about how God has done this work, how did He gather the people? You have to see that all the way through, the first thing that happens is God speaks a word. He speaks to people. So to Abraham, he made a promise. And Abraham believed God. Abraham didn't see the fulfillment of the promise, but he believed God. Think about it from what we saw last, last term in, in Egypt. At the Exodus. Do you remember the, the plague of the Passover? As God said, I'm going to come through the land and all the firstborns will be destroyed. What did the people have to do? Well, they had to do what God said to them. God said you need to take a lamb, care for it for a few days, then kill it, 
smear some of the blood over the doorposts and then I will see that and I will pass over the house. If they disbelieve God, if they don't do what God says, then they face the judgment of God. It is the word of God which is the thing that gathers them. You see, what we always see, you see it in the gospel. How are people called into the, the gathering of God now? As they hear the word of the gospel and the promise God makes in that to his people. Of sins forgiven. Of relationship with him. And it's as people believe that and trust that. That they are gathered into God's family. God gathers by a word. So you could say God calls by a word. He gathers by that word. But also then. He gathers so that he might speak to people. Now listen to the words that we read before again in Deuteronomy. Verse 10. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb. When he said to me, assemble the people before me to hear my words. You see that? So assemble the people before me to hear my words. So that... So that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with with fire to the very heavens with black clouds and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of words but saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to you his, his covenant, the Ten Commandments which he commanded you to follow. And you and then wrote them on two stone tablets. And the Lord directed me at that time to teach you the decrees and laws you are to follow in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. You saw no form of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you out at Horeb out of the fire. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully. Can you see what God did? He gathered them together so that he might speak to them and teach them. So that they might know how to live for him in the land. You see, they were gathered together with each other so that God might speak to them. He speaks so that they might hear and obey the very purpose of being gathered. Hearing that they might obey. And it's the same for us. That we gather to hear God speak. To obey his voice. To know what he wants. Which is why, I don't know if you've ever reflected on this, is why Bible teaching here at Christ Church Forward is so important to us. Because the purpose of gathering together, what God does is he gathers people to hear what he has to say. And we hear that now through the scriptures. And see, it's why an authentic church, an authentic gathering of God's people, has right at its heart the Bible. Why we sing songs which are based on the Bible. It's why we have Bible reading. It's why we have Bible preaching. It's why we have Bible studies. It's why we have Lighthouse. So that we might hear God speak to us in his word. And as we have said those last couple of points. As we come to the New Testament... We see that everything that was promised in the old finds its fulfillment in the Lord Jesus. You see that in 2 Corinthians. Every promise is yes in Christ Jesus. Jesus came to save a people. He came to gather a people. 
Just think if you've been doing Mark, say this, this year, Jesus comes and he calls people and they follow him. He starts to gather, starts with the twelve. They are gathered together and the group grows. There's bigger numbers as they gather together. John the Baptist says Jesus will gather his wheat. A picture of gathering the harvest in. In John 10, Jesus says that he is the good shepherd who calls his sheep. His sheep listen to his voice. He says he gathers them into the flock. Those who are Jesus, who are who belong to Jesus, gather. He says they've got sheep of another in other places that he will gather together into the flock. The one flock that he gathers. And it's what he has always been doing. He's always been gathering a people. As the disciples went out and preached after, after Pentecost, they gathered people to the Lord Jesus. And the idea itself is even borne out in the very word church. The word that we use, church, means assembly or gathering. Now the word in Greek um, is ecclesia. And it was a fairly um, secular word. So if you read um, through Acts 19, if you were reading it in the Greek, you would come across Ecclesia. But it's not speaking of uh, the church gathering of people around God. It's talking about the town council. Now it had a fairly ordinary usage at the time when the New Testament was written. But it it has been taken on and used to describe the gathering of God's people because it's what it is. It's a gathering. It's an entirely appropriate word to use of God's gathering, the church. Now, let me just say at this point, we need to be careful when we do theology. This is kind of a side point. Maybe it's a bit nerdy, but um, hopefully it's helpful. Um, when When you start doing theology, you can fall into a trap, which is you look at a word... And you think, therefore, that, this word means this in ordinary secular usage. Therefore, that must mean what everything's about. Do you know, so you look, if we started this whole talk and said, the church, the word in Greek is ecclesia, and ecclesia means gathering, therefore the church is the gathering, then we would be on dangerous ground because we're forming everything just on a word. But I want you to see that when we, we've not done that, Because we've looked at the whole story of the Bible and seen that actually this theme of gathering, of assembly, starts right in Genesis, goes all the way through the Bible. And actually you see it in in Revelation as well, right at the end, as the people gather round the throne of the Lamb. You see, it's, it's as you see everything else, you start to see the word that they chose for the gathering of God's people, church, was entirely appropriate for the nature of what's going on. Okay, nerdy aside over. And then we've got more that we're going to have to say over the the coming weeks. But at present, I think we're able to kind of come up with a a quick definition of church. And we will use this over the coming weeks. It's what we said at the beginning, just with a a little bit more added. The church is the gathering of God's people in order to meet the Lord Jesus in his word by the power of the Holy Spirit. And crucially, this is crucial to kind of have as, as well, in fellowship with one another. Okay, let me say that again. The church is the gathering of God's people in order to meet the Lord Jesus in his word by the power of the Holy Spirit and in fellowship with one another. Okay, well let me just make uh, this early stage, and we've not, we've not done too much yet in some ways, 
you might think we have. Um, but let me make a couple of preliminary observations, going back to what we said at the beginning. Can you see how we often think of, when we hear the word church, we think of buildings. Can you see that church has nothing to do with buildings? The gathered people of God might meet in a building, but the church is not a building. Now, I'm sure most of us have, have known that. But it's helpful to see it again, and I probably need to try and stop uh, using the word church and, and say, I'll meet you at church, because it's wrong. Uh, the church building is unimportant. It's a rain shelter. It hopefully keeps us warm in winter. But it's not got any significance, really, beyond that. Do you know, I've been part, in part of churches and we've met in schools, met in civic halls, in community centres. You think of Christchurch Walkley at the moment, the church plan they went uh, last year, they meet in a library. It doesn't mean that they are not a church because the building doesn't matter. It's about the gathering of God's people. So if somebody says that they wouldn't want to uh, join a particular church because it's not in a church, well, they've misunderstood what church is. It's not about buildings. Similarly, I hope you can see that the the church is not so much about institutions. So the denomination of the Church of England doesn't describe a gathering of God's people together. It describes an institution. Now we'll have more to say on that in a few weeks, and that may raise uh, questions in your mind. Uh, But institutions are not the church. But can you also see the church is not just the Christian club. You don't just come to church because you're a Christian and Christians like doing Christian things. You are church. And so we gather together because that's what God saved us to be. He saved us to join church. Do you know in the New Testament, you you, you search very hard for a place in the New Testament where it says... Go to church. Now, you probably heard me and others kind of encouraging you not to neglect coming to church. You need to keep coming to church. And you think, well, it doesn't say that in the New Testament. What does it say in the New Testament? Well, start to see by the very nature of the thing. It is so obvious that if you are being saved to gather together with people, then that's what you should do. You see, the church is far more about meeting together. It's the gathering together of God's people in fellowship with each other to hear God speak. It's not on the periphery of what God's doing. Do you know, sometimes uh, people will say, say to me, oh, you've got a very low view of church. Or you might hear the kind of terms of people talking about high church. And they think it sounds like they've got a very high view of church. But can you see what we've presented this morning, what the Bible teaches presents a very, very high view of church. Because right at heart and centre of what God's doing in the world is gathering a people to himself. You see, it's not on the periphery of God's agenda. So when somebody, coming back to what we said before, when somebody says they don't really like church, I like being a Christian, but I don't really like church, they've misunderstood, they've missed something crucially important. God saves people to gather them. And although church may be difficult and hard and uh, stressful at times, it's not something which we can absent ourselves from, but something which we should invest in. 
Now we're going to have more to say about these things over the coming weeks. But I hope that you can see already, church is very important. I hope that you can see that we should be praising God for his church, for each other, for what he has done in his salvation. And so as you come to church tonight, and as you gather again with people, look around and think, these are all people God's gathered together so that I can be in relationship with them, so we can hear God together. It starts to transform how you start thinking of what happens week by week, doesn't it? Right at the centre of what God is doing is this gathering.